Hey, everybody. Hope you all are doing all right out there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Interviews with Chris. This is your host, Chris Tryon. This is episode number 10, and it's a special one. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dylan Walker of Full of Hell. He's also in other bands such as Sightless Pit, which put out a great album earlier this year and has been on nonstop rotation. Hands down, one of my favorite vocalists and such a nice guy. Talking with Dylan was almost as if I knew him for ages. Down to earth, pleasant, and just super easy going. My previous personal interaction with him came from one of my old bands opening it up for Full of Hell in an old airplane hangar looking structure that kind of reminded me of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater game garage level because people always used to skate there while bands were playing. That was over five years ago or so, but I remember Full of Hell tearing it up and all of the members being really nice, chatting with them after the show, just hanging out. In this episode, I talk with Dylan about his upbringing, the subjectivity of success, his passion for screen printing, stories involving his band Full of Hell, and so much more. There's some great stories in this one, and even some that I think might even surprise you. Here's my conversation with him. Enjoy. Hey Dylan, how's it going, man? Hey man, how's it going? Pretty good over going here. Going well. Yeah, as, <laughs> as good as it could be. Thanks for taking the time out of your night to do this interview. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Sorry it took a while to schedule. <laughs> no, no. Hey, you're a busy guy. I know it's COVID times, but what's going on in your world? Honestly, uh, it's been a really weird year. Um, this is the first year since I was 18 years old where I haven't been going on tour for like several months out of the year. So I've just been trying to fill my time. The band, Full of Hell, uh, we've been staying pretty busy recording and just kind of, you know, doing self-releases and just little projects, mail order-wise, to keep ourselves busy because it's kind of like a lifestyle for all of us. So we really had to scramble to figure out, you know, how we were going to fill our time. And then, uh, you know, otherwise, just uh, staying home with my wife and dogs and printing shirts, just, you know, trying to stay busy and keep my mind off of things when possible. No, I love that, especially going into other like creative outlets like printmaking. But from what I understand, you live in a rural area out in the woods in Pennsylvania. I obviously don't want to disclose your exact area for privacy reasons. Not that I even know what the exact area is, not like I have the coordinates or anything. <laughs> but with what's happening with COVID, does being out there kind of help with coping and dealing with what's happening with the world, you know, versus being in New York City and hopping on a subway or being in LA and having more of that concentration of that exposure? Oh yeah, man. It's night and day. It was actually, um, it was kind of strange. Like when this all started, 
we were about to go to Europe and I remember hearing like, you know, murmurs about outbreaks in like Bologna, like Northern Italy and stuff. They were getting hit really hard before, uh, before some of the other nations in Central Europe, at least. And the bass player of this band, I Flies, that was coming on the tour with us, that's our guitarist's other band. Um, Spencer's band, right? Yeah. Well, the bassist, he became really concerned like before any of the rest of us. And, and I was talking to him and I remember feeling like, um, you know, when H1N1 happened, I was like 18 years old and I didn't really give a shit. You know what I mean? I don't remember anything on this scale at all, even though it was, it was pretty serious. Um, my mom and sister ended up getting it. But like when this all started, I didn't think of it very seriously at first. And uh, the bass player of the band was like, no, this is going to be really serious. Like the whole world's going to shut down. And I was just like, oh, man, I don't know if I believe you. Like, I don't even want to believe that. And like, sure enough, you know, within a couple of weeks, the tour was canceled. And I don't know, things just got more and more grim. But it was so shocking at the time because we were going to be visiting all these cities that since then, like living out here, the town that's like 10 minutes from me is like 3000 people. If that the concentration of cases in the County are like extremely, extremely low. So it is very, very different. And I would say a lot, a lot lower stress, but I think because of that, people that live around here that don't get to travel or anything like that, um, they don't really get the seriousness of the situation. And I mean, you can kind of see that on the news. Yeah. You can kind of see that on the news everywhere. And there are universities around here too. And, and I don't know, it's, um, I don't know. It's like everybody has their own reality right now. You know what I mean? Nobody is, seems to be on the same wavelength. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite an interesting time. And, you know, where you're at, I'm guessing you go on hikes and soak up nature on a daily basis. You strike me as an outdoorsy type of guy. You know, I mean, obviously going on tour and, you know, slumming it or whatever. It's, <laughs> I kind of compare the two because I love the outdoors and I never mind, you know, sleeping in a van or whatever. But are you an outdoorsy type of guy? Yeah, I definitely am. I'm not as extreme as some of my friends around here. It's definitely big around here. There's a huge mountain biking scene. Dirt biking is really big. Foot races are huge. Bouldering or something? Yeah, all that shit is huge out here. So we have we have some <laughs> friends who like have Instagram accounts dedicated entirely to hiking and, and, and you know natural photography and stuff. And it's really beautiful out here. And it's funny you compare it to touring because especially now that I'm like 30 and we've been a band for 10 years... Um, I kind of look back on the early years of Full of Hell. We slept in our van all the time because we had no <laughs> friends. We were not popular. We weren't from a city, so we had no connections. So we literally just like you built went those on up tour. over time. Yeah, we went on tour and played to no one over and over again relentlessly and always slept in the van to a point where it was like almost like we preferred the van just because we didn't have to like be in an <laughs> awkward social situation. But nowadays, uh, I look back on that really fondly because it really did feel like camping. You know, you'd be in a Walmart parking lot and you might have like, I had like absolutely no fucking money to my name at all. So, you know, wake up in the morning, go into Walmart, steal some chicken or something like that. That was like, you have to go out and forage for some food. Well, yeah. Or even, I mean, going on tour wherever there's like a state park or something. It's like, well, might as well take advantage of the situation. Just a really beautiful area. Yeah, you definitely get to see a lot of nice stuff. But as far as what you were talking about is shirt printing. I actually bought one of those Dolores Cranberry shirts, so I can't oh. wait to rock that. Awesome. But, um, you know, it's in the mail. Yeah, especially. <laughs> I can't wait, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, especially with the way the world is and that live music has come to a halt. I know that it's been a creative outlet for you. How did you get into shirt printing exactly? 
Um, it was kind of happenstance. My, I have an aunt and uncle that are, are very, very talented artists, and uh, they work out of Philadelphia. And um, my aunt runs a co-op called Second State Press, and they've both been printmakers for a long time. But basically, uh, when I was like a late teen, they brought me down to Philly and taught me how to print. And um, I remember kind of wanting to do something with it, but not really wanting to engage. And I didn't have a space for it up here or anything. Um, when my wife and I got our, our house, uh, it had a pretty big space for it. So uh, it just seemed like a wasted opportunity to not pursue it. And, you know, once I actually dug my heels in and started going with it, it was just such a, a cool hobby, you know. It wasn't something that I, I'd like ever thought of doing until my aunt and uncle brought it into my life. And uh, now it kind of like it's so twisted up in all my other hobbies as well that uh, it just feels like a really organic, cool thing. You know, they're all kind of connected in that way. No, that's super awesome, especially that you got your help from your family members, especially them kind of showing you the ropes, I'm sure, with like, I don't know, photo emulsion or swapping screens or something like that. Um, I've pulled a squeegee across and botched <laughs> a bunch of shirts. Yeah, it's it's really easy to mess up. There's like a million things to get wrong. So it was it was very <laughs> nice to have that. And, and you know, my like friends too, the drummer from the body was like uh, my advice pool because my aunt and uncle are like are very well trained, <laughs> but I didn't want to bug them like every 10 minutes and Lee from the body. He's a really talented screen printer and he's been doing it super DIY for like God knows how long. And uh, he was always there for good advice. So yeah, it's, it's like, it's like a cool community. It's very similar to like extreme music in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I always see like screen printing and like DIY and punk or, you know, those realms totally coexisting with each other um, but from what i understand full of hell and shirt printing are the main drivers of your livelihood and please correct me if i'm wrong i mean you, you may be like a really good poker player or gambler or anything <laughs> but, um <laughs> have you ever thought hey you know if full of hell didn't pan out maybe you'd find yourself doing something else i mean are there any other occupations that fascinated you growing up or you saw yourself doing maybe a scientist a meteorologist a pilot? I have no idea. I mean, as a really young kid, I remember wanting to be an astronaut. But even if I had the aptitude for something like that, I'm just so terrified of heights and bumpy flights that I could never handle something <laughs> like that. I went to college for journalism, actually. I'm a dropout, like very quick, like second semester dropout. But it's funny, I had some extracurricular hobbies in high school. But the moment I joined my first band, I quit everything else I did. So it was always something like I wished for, like in my heart of hearts, that I could just play shows every day and just make music. That's all I wanted from like age 12 till now. And it's never, it's never, um, it's only gotten stronger. So, you know, when I had the opportunity to drop out of school and just tour, you know, in my shitty band, I kind of just went for it. And, you know, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, it wasn't something that I had to consider like, there were very few existential moments where I was like, shit, I'm not making any money from this and I'm going to end up being a fucking loser. Like there were a couple moments like that. Everybody in the band has had them, but just, it's, it just, it's so hard to describe because, you know, I still have little murmurs of that, you know, like anyone would, but I never expected anything to get as far as it's gotten. It's such a gift that I'm committed to just letting my life plunge into it. So I don't have a backup plan. You know, I have other bands and printing is really fun. And I have, you know, plenty of opportunity to continue contract printing and whatever else I want to do. But I've made it, I've made it um, 
far enough where I feel very happy with where I'm at and I'm just going to just ride it out. You know what I mean? I don't have a 401k plan, but fuck that. Like, look at the world, you know, (laughs) it really doesn't matter. No, I mean, I really love what you're saying because to be quite frank, when I was thinking about even asking that question, it wasn't really maybe per se a, a valid question because you started, you know, in full of hell at 18, 19, from what I understand, it's not like, yeah. oh shit, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a nuclear engineer in a year or something. Yeah, dude, you know, I think that's where, I think that's where you could kind of, so I think that's where I'm, you know, if, if I have a kid or something like that and they graduate from high school, this is funny because my fiance may want to smack me across the head right now, but um, <laughs> I'm going to be like, Hey, our kid could go on tour, you know, experience some stuff. College is always going to be there. And I think it's those kind of those moments that you build up. I've never been in a successful band, but the the memories that I honestly have had <laughs> touring or doing anything are ones that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And I would never trade any sort of monetary thing or possession or some sort of life experience for that. But yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I love that it's been like pedal to the metal for sure. Yeah. And you know what, man? Success is so subjective. Like, I don't even know. When I was a kid and I looked at bands, like my favorite bands, they were all really underground at the time. I don't really even, I couldn't even say like what a, like what a daughter show looked like in 2003 or something like that. But to me, those <laughs> bands were doing it. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I didn't give yeah, a yeah, fuck if sure. they were poor. Like those were big bands. And now, you know, with Full of Hell at 30, I don't know. Like I know that people know about us and I know that we're able to do things that we want to do, but it's so relative. We're so nothing in the big picture you know what i mean and that might be disheartening to someone if they were in those shoes but it's actually liberating because you know you realize that success isn't uh dictated by like x band or y band you can like choose your own goals and you can be really crafty and clever and do things the right way you know like low cost and and you can make it work and i always wondered i always wondered like am i able to get married and be in a touring band like i a real extreme DIY touring band. Um, it didn't seem possible. And as I got older, you know, I start looking to guys like Converge and Neurosis, you know, especially those two stick yeah, out for sure for like the long period of my life because those guys are lifers. Jacob that, Bannon, like, Kurt, yeah, they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Done it forever. Steve, yeah, man. And they made their band, which is their part of their souls. They made it work around their lifestyles. Those guys have kids, they have careers, they do what they got to do, but they always have their bands too. And I don't know if if what I'm saying, you know, makes a whole lot of sense, but I I don't think I can go back because I just, I have this uh, weird um, existential problem with like my time. You know what I mean? I feel it's too precious. So I'd rather be a broke loser. And we're going to get into that. (laughs) We're going to get into that concept of time because I know I actually read on it, but what was your first introduction to music? Maybe not like actually playing, but maybe you were in your parents' car and you listened to Pink Floyd or something. From what I understand, listening to punk music and bluegrass with your parents was a staple for you growing up. Yeah, man. My parents were uh, very, very, very into music and still are. Um, When I was a little kid, they were really, really into the Grateful Dead. They were, I wouldn't say like extreme deadheads, but enormous fans. I specifically remember the week Jerry Garcia died. It was like a huge, huge deal in my house. We put my dog down at like almost the same time. It like crushed my dad for weeks. Very, very sad times. But we also listened to tons of Bob Dylan. That's who they named me after. And like my mom and dad were really into punk as well. Like early, like early punk, 
like stuff like the clash and the Ramones, uh, but like bad brains too. So that stuff was in the house and they always encouraged it. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It was honestly a pretty cool environment. Like they tried to limit how extreme I got with it in middle and high school. I think sometimes they were trying to keep me from getting bullied, you know, in terms of like, you know, the kid with the Liberty spikes and like the women's clothing in, <laughs> in, in, in like a rural school. Yeah. It's not always a good, yeah. it's not a good equation, you know? And, and there was like a little bit of trouble, but I lived in a nice area overall, you know, I wasn't really judged. They kind of just let me dress like a dickhead when I wanted. And yeah, yeah. So music came into my life early. Sorry. For, sorry for the tangent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, man. Do you have a deadhead bear tattoo somewhere on your body? No, but, uh, uh, our bass player has enough for the whole band. Not, not, <laughs> not of the bears, but like just grateful dead tattoos. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I know you used to play guitar in a dark, hardcore band, and you met your current Full of Hell bandmate, Spencer, around 2009. But how did becoming a vocalist come about? Was that where it all kind of began? No, actually, I've been vocalists in bands since I was 12. And when I showed up to my first band practice, I had a guitar. And uh, the other kid that had a guitar was just like, you know, way, way beyond my playing level. And I never thought about being a singer per se, but they just kind of asked me to try and I found that it it just felt really easy for me to fill that role and I didn't have to buy equipment. So I just kind of ran with it and all of my bands through high school and adult years have all been on vocals aside from the three months that I spent in my friend's band at the time, which was a very fortuitous three months because I met Spencer and uh, Full of Hell had just started and yeah, I got to join the band. Well, I got to ask, what were you singing at 12 years old? Um, I was in a band called Rotting Carcass. It's it's not a very original name, but uh, I remember singing about vampires and killing George Bush. Like I specifically remember, <laughs> and it was kind of like it was high. It was how are like you yelling? Kid, kid metal. It was like a normal like black metally kind of screaming. I guess definitely not with any kind of control, but uh, I remember figuring out how to like scream high and and low. I had one of my best friends. Uh, he was like the really popular bad bad boy in, in school, like one year ahead of me. And he had a band when he was like 14 that sounded like fucking Cryptopsy, like straight up sounded like <laughs> Cryptopsy. And, and I'd never heard a teenager sing like that, like actual, you know, death metal singing. And it blew my yeah. fucking mind. So I kind of just, I've been emulating him for my entire life, <laughs> even with Full of Hell, honestly. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So I'm not saying this because I'm interviewing you, but you're definitely one of my favorite vocalists. Um, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> who are, yeah, absolutely. Who are the most influential lyricists and vocalists for you that helped hmm. craft your own voice? Um, uh, v- vocal style specifically, I always liked, speaking of Cryptopsy, um, that None So Vile specifically, that Lord Worm vocal performance on that record, I always thought it sounded like, like straight up like a rabid dog. And it's funny, um, that record... A lot of records you listen to, like in the MySpace era, they don't really age very well. But I specifically remember being really into that record as a kid. And still, that record is incredible to this day. Other ones, uh, another early one was John Chang. Uh, I got like three Discordance Axis songs off LimeWire. I don't know. I just thought, I thought Grindcore was... LimeWire. That, that, that was like, <laughs> gr- you know, my birth into Grindcore was like through Hydrahead and stuff. And I just remember thinking like holy shit, like John Chang's voice is perfect. And um, I was also like a huge, huge, huge fan of, of Daughters. I thought Alexis Marshall had like just 
such a powerful stage presence. Um, and yeah. like Greg, P- Greg Puziato, songs. Yeah. Greg Puziato from Dillinger escape plan had the crazy stage presence too. And I used to try to be that guy, you know, like I wanted to head walk on people and hit people. And I don't know, <laughs> I, I, I grew out of that. Thankfully it as you know, as a late teen, I, I learned that, uh, I'm not a tough guy and I, I don't like being touched when I'm watching bands. So I kind of like stepped away from that. You know what I mean? But those guys Got were it. like huge. They were huge for me. Yeah. I mean, others that I've thought of, um, I'm, I'm guessing maybe like Travis Ryan from cattle decap. Cap, oh, for cattle sure. Decapitation or like Dino dystopia. Um, Jacob Bannon from converge, but one, one band, uh, well actually one individual I thought of that. I don't think that you particularly maybe emulate in the way you scream, but maybe have, gathered maybe a tad bit of influences maybe mike Patton and maybe just a, like uh, experimentation yeah. or um, i don't know he's like definitely honorable mention i mean that list is so liquid you know what i mean if i had yeah. to make a short list mike Patton most definitely ends up on there like near the top too he's just so uh adept i don't know and dynamic i've never seen anything quite like it it's fucking sick yeah he uh I, i'm not like a huge fan of faith no more or mr bungle per se though i will take any chance i get to see them um and i and i appreciate what they do yeah he's like gotta be one of the craziest extreme vocalists alive if not like you know the craziest just in terms of like what he can do he can do everything yeah i mean the reason i'm kind of transitioning into it is because full of hell opened up for mr bungle and i have to ask how was that how receptive were the crowds i mean i heard in an interview that trevor dunn handpicked you all so they're obviously fans of yours but i know that sometimes fans just don't really get openers no matter how experimental mr bungle may be they may be like what the hell is going on so i mean how was it dude it was honestly it overall it was like such a fantastic experience everything about it ruled the sound was great the the guys in the band were so fucking cool you know we got to hang out with trevor and Patton. it was fucking awesome they're really sweet guys got to hang out with the Ipecac records people. And like, um, it's funny that that you say that because in my experience as well, the more dedicated a fan base a band has, the more relentless (laughs) the fans are relentlessly like apathetic or relentlessly negative. So playing to Mr. Bungle fans was cool. And I mean, it wasn't, it could have been to a much, much worse audience. I'm not saying anything negative about Bungle fans, but I will say it was definitely like the just staring at you, like what the fuck are you doing, kind of kind of deal. Because they were, I mean, it was yeah. it's like a once in a lifetime chance for a lot of these people to see Mr. Bungle. You know, that show sold out in like sure. thirty seconds. And if I was a super fan of Mr. Bungle, I probably wouldn't give a fuck. You know, if I was in another body and perspective. So we were just happy to have the chance to play. Uh, I will say, side note, um, I talked to dude so fucking many guys that just came up to me and were like, "You guys are all right." I have a band. It's like a black and prog, <laughs> uh, melodic, like jazz band, dude. So many times. And I told the band, I like, I was doing merch that night and I went back and I told the guys like, yo, like 30 kids have told me this so far. <laughs> and then we were loading our gear out, dude, we were loading our gear out and like four more guys stopped us. And we're just like, maybe, maybe when you guys come down, you guys could play with us. Or like, you should check out my band. I've got a really good band. You guys are okay. It was just weird. And it was just, it seems, I don't know. I'd have to play another show with Mr. Bungle to figure out if it's like synonymous to Mr. Bungle shows. Like just really intense people, you know? I I would assume that's the case. (laughs) It wasn't horrible. It was just interesting. 
Well, I'm glad it went well overall. Your last tour, from what I understand, like, you know, full-blown tour was with Cattle Decapitation. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess that didn't sound too happy because the reason I am bringing it up because I know that run included a, a tour nightmare that yeah. no band ever wants to go through. And I know that you all had your van stolen along with pretty much all gear and merch you guys had. And to me, that's extremely infuriating because I rarely remember my dreams, but I have some nightmares where like someone completely jacks my car, like with my oh, yeah. gear. And that's, pro- you know, that's typically worse than, I don't know, some crazy creature, like, you know, wanting to massacre <laughs> me or something. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing I thought that was incredible was the outpouring of help from fans, you know, with the GoFundMe that helped raise funds to get you guys back in a position to rock again. But my question is, how the hell do you recover from that exactly? You know, even mentally or or anything, you know, because I know that that was a tough time. Honestly, man, um, easily the toughest like moments of, of my adult life with the band, especially. Um, think about all the bands that have been robbed um, before the era of like this crowdfunding. Like this is it's 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 yeah. honestly like, you know, a newer thing in the zeitgeist. Right. Like overall, you know, a decade or so. I just think of like a band like Cursed. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Getting robbed in France. I am. It just, it just, they just broke up. Like that was just the end of the band. And like, you know, in another time, if Full of Hell hadn't been around for so many years and hadn't made all the friends we've made, I don't know what we would have fucking done. We would have gone home and, and that would have been the end of the band for a while. If, you know, if ever. It was just really dark. Um, the GoFundMe turnaround was really shocking. I remember it getting put up. And my wife calling me excited and wanting to tell me what it was at already. And I was just like, don't fucking tell me. Like, I don't even want to think about it. Because we were honestly like really embarrassed just on a personal level to have to do something like that. And I know there's like, well, to ask, what other, you know, what yeah. other option, yeah. what other option it did we really have? You know, we had a really good friend put that up for us. And um, I don't know. It, it was just like, it wasn't something like, I don't even... I'm so grateful that we were able to pick ourselves back up with that money, but it's something like I would give anything to just make the whole situation not fucking happen at all. Cause it was such a long drawn out nightmare in general. Like we were having a really great tour that was like, you know, perfectly fun and successful. And we had all Best of our, time personal of our life shit situation. Stolen. Yeah, dude. So like, yeah, we're driving home in a rental car from North Carolina or from uh, Atlanta and um, the GoFundMe hits, but like, it's still like horrible. I drive, I had to drive home like, you know, overnight after that, no winter coat even. It's like, you know, cause I left my winter coat in the van. And then it's just this long drawn out process of having to like try and work with a difficult police department who understandably, I guess is really overworked, but like nothing was accomplished. Nothing was ever fucking found. I don't even entirely understand how that's possible. So especially yeah, with th- unique gear. You know, like, yeah. I mean, Spencer's guitar and other things like that. I think it's really hard to kind of sell a lot of these pieces of gear. It's not maybe per se like a, I don't know, I own a Mexican P-Base as well as other things. But I mean, it's, these are unique pieces in a lot of ways, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know how that whole situation would work for them. Uh, I read this interesting thing. St. Louis had like a ring of people robbing bands for a long time. It was like notorious, like outside some venues downtown. And um Years later, uh, not that long ago, um, there was this thing going viral. I saw it was like a Google Doc from the police department. They'd like found a warehouse absolutely fucking stuffed with gear. Like I'm talking like 
Wow. Backlines on backlines on backlines of gear, just endless shit. Like, and it had been so long. Guitar like, centers. Yeah, it had been so long that I, you know, as far as I knew, like none of it was claimed. You know what I mean? It was like such ancient fucking history that, like, you know, and 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 they obviously like didn't even have the ability to move it. It's really really hard to sell stolen gear nowadays. Um, I found out through this situation that all the pawn shops, um, they all have to be registered to some like database thing. And they have to submit serial numbers and all that shit to like a central database. So if any guy had wanted to pawn the stuff with real serial numbers on it, because custom gear has nothing on it, basically, you know what That's I mean? That's true. Yes. Uh, like, but like all that, all like we use like orange cabs and shit like that. All that stuff has big serial numbers. If anybody had tried to sell it legitimately through a pawn shop, it would have just pinged off the police. So, I mean, it's not as easy as it once may have been. All I can say is it's over. I don't want to think about it. And uh, I feel like I hope that, you know, at the very fucking worst, maybe some kids had a good Christmas or, you know what I mean? Like, what else am I supposed to think at this point? Like, hopefully, like some fucking poor families had a Christmas or something. You know what I mean? Although it's probably just sitting somewhere. That's a positive way of looking at it. And I do have to apologize in advance. I don't want to bring up anything. Negative oh, no, 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 no. I did, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean it like <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I'll talk about it. I'm, it's just like a thing. Like, overall, I'm just like. Yeah, I'm fucking glad that's over. I don't feel any sort of way about it anymore. Like, it's wild. You know, hopefully something came out of it. Like, that's good. Because on our end, honestly, like, it was just a really drawn out pain in the ass. Besides, you know, the affirmation of seeing how much people cared, which was truly wonderful, for sure. I don't want to, like, belittle that at all. Because that was amazing. No, no. Totally understandable. And on to the next topic here. Obviously, live music is on a hiatus. But do you all have any rescheduled dates or do you have any future touring plans once everything stabilizes? I know some bands are kind of like already rescheduling everything, even though no one really knows what's going to happen. Are you guys kind of in a similar boat? Yeah. um, So basically like the going uh, like wisest course of action in like, I guess, in the booking agent industry and just like that whole little world, everybody is being encouraged to book stuff for next year, assuming that things are going to go off without a hitch, you know, because that's all you really can do because, you know, a lot of people really rely on this income. So yeah, we've, there's talks of tours and everything for next year. I don't know any sane non hillbilly ass fucking person (laughs) that is booking something for this year. Um, you know, I see, I do see, I do see some of my friends in, in like some other Asian nations where they're like, they are having concerts and stuff. Like my friends in Japan were having shows like, I heard that this was just because there was absolutely no shutdown during like one of the waves of COVID they had in Japan, but there were still shows happening in like April and stuff. And I know like some of my friends played like this big electronic festival in Japan. And then, you know, I've seen stuff happening in other Asian countries and like DIY stuff happening in certain pockets in Europe. It's different all over the world. And really who's to say, like, even if they let us go overseas next year, maybe we have to fucking quarantine for two weeks. No one knows what's going on basically, but yeah, on the air. People are just like moving their chips out of the pot and putting them into another one. And then, you know, so on and so forth, you know, ad infinitum until we get to do this shit again. But everybody's just waiting. Got it. Well, on the topic of just even playing shows, what's the weirdest spot or show you've ever played? It could be the most dangerous or most out of place or anything. For instance, I played with you um, in El Paso way back in the day in an old like airplane hanger in El Paso. Yeah, I remember that. Sandbox. 
I and that. I've played many shows there, so it's not really weird. But yeah, it's still an airplane hangar structure thing. Probably could make for like a scene in the movie Green Room if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. But you know, I mean, it's normal. But what's a weird spot you've played before? That hangar is actually really cool with the skate ramps and stuff. You shout out yeah, the like, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know, man. That's a tough question. We've played some really fucking weird places over the years. Uh, <laughs> um, fuck. I wish I could give you like a really quick answer. Um, I mean. I mean, we've played like the normal weird of like, you know, a mold filled squat or like an abandoned brewery building or like anything like that. I, you know, nothing's really jumping to mind. I know we've, you know, we've played under bridges and stuff like that on bridges in the middle of the night. Like, uh, we did some like, uh, South by Southwest stuff where we would like play on a walking bridge with a generator. Got it. That's yeah, not like, for sure. That's not like weird. That's just kind of cool. You know, I, we might have to circle back to that because I I know the strange shows. Oh, we you know we played in rural Australia <laughs> at like a, a kids a kids birthday party next to a pool. Um, that was like wow. I mean, we were younger then. You know, it's weird as you get older. Like you don't really feel like an adult, but at a certain point, you're like, "Fuck, man, I can't be playing like kids birthday parties anymore." Like you just like that, like <laughs> that, like really sinks in like, yo, I, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Like, <laughs> but it was super fun. And when I say kids birthday party, they were like basically our age and it was a fun show, but it was definitely like unique setting. We were like just hanging out in a residential area and like this Australian dude just walks out of the woods and he's like, how's it going? <laughs> and he told me he put out a wood, uh, a wooden lathe cut seven inch for Mersbau. And I was like, dude, where the fuck wow, even are we? What? I met. I, that, he, that, he, was, that, he was summoned out of he was summoned out of the forest or out whatever. of the bush you know that's kind of crazy he came out of the, out bush, the bush in a yeah. haze <laughs> yeah it was just really random i don't know but basically i guess like playing residential spots that are really really out of place for us i might even be maybe we're tamer than i think we are i don't know <laughs> forget right. it i don't have anything hey. cool <laughs> <laughs> well we talked about a weird spot now it's time for some weird random questions these are questions i've created myself some are music-based, some are off the wall, some are for me hiring a private investigator. No, just kidding. Right. Um, but, right. um, <laughs> some were requested by your fans. Hey, are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. You've got two corgis from what I've seen. Are corgis your favorite dog breed? They weren't until we owned the first one. Uh, I didn't even want the corgi. It, I was about to leave for a couple months and we just <laughs> moved into this like gutted half-built country house that we own. And my wife was like, I'm getting a puppy like right now. Like she couldn't wait. And uh, I don't know. He's my best friend. I don't know what to say. This is me and my adult life raising dogs from puppies. So yeah, they're my favorites. Definitely. <laughs> what was your favorite dog breed beforehand? I know you had said like, eh, maybe I don't want a Corgi. Did you have a particular breed you liked? I love boxers. I think they're really funny. And you know, um, I will say just overall, over the years, you know, I've had a lot of dogs and the more breeds I meet and interact with, I always find something to love about them. We had Chesapeake Bay Retrievers when I was growing up. They're pretty funny dogs too, but you know, I'm just a dog guy. I, I like almost all of them. I, I'd be good with whatever. Me too, man. I love all dogs. And <laughs> who's your favorite Twin Peaks character? Log Lady. She's so prophetic, you know, and it's so sad. <laughs> I mean, it, she's just... I like her delivery and I, I love the, the hand, the, the small guy when he's speaking. Yeah, backwards. yeah for sure. You know what I'm talking? I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, great yeah, show. yeah, for sure. I'll go with Log Lady. Good choice there. What's the last TV show that you binge watched? Oh, I don't even remember. Oh, The Sopranos. I watched The Sopranos for the second time 
and I actually liked it more. And I loved it the first time. It, that's a really great show. Very deep. Kind of depressed me, to be honest. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I think I've only seen like one episode ever. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Um, hey, you influenced me here. I'm gonna. Um, that's gonna be my next show. I'll watch. It's pretty dense. You know, give it a shot. I really like mob stuff, so it's kind of like you know, I'm a mark for that stuff. So I could see people not liking it, but give it a shot. I will definitely give it a shot. Would you rather have a mariachi band or a hip-hop artist cover a Full of Hell song? Probably a mariachi band. Um, sometimes I'm not like super crazy with rhymes. You know, I don't really rhyme a lot. And even further, I don't think like the cadence of my vocals would maybe translate to like hip-hop. But I think a mariachi band would be hilarious. Kind of like the Bronx. They have like a... They, oh, they play yeah. mariachi. Mariachi yeah. Bronx? Yeah, they're fucking awesome. Both of the, how do we say this, iterations of their band are wonderful. Um, on the topic of collaborations, you guys have so many awesome ones with other artists. Where do I begin? The Body, Nails, Code Orange Kids, Mersbau, Health, Intensive Care. What would your next collaboration be? Would you rather have Mariah Carey or Justin Timberlake? Oh, man, I don't know enough about either of them. Probably... If I was going to take the easy way out where I know I could make something cool, probably Mariah Carey, just because I, I really love just like a female voice. And I feel like we could do something really, really outstanding with her. And uh, honestly, the body could also do something good with her. And I think they would also do something really good with Justin Timberlake, for that matter. Um, <laughs> but I'd probably lean towards Mariah Carey. I'll make some phone calls tonight. Um yeah. <laughs> on a more on a more serious note, who's an artist that you'd really love to collaborate with? I know that's kind of something that is usually brewing in your guys' mindset because you guys definitely love collaborations, but I think it's more than just that. It's the learning process and how you've learned how to embrace that and utilize that within your own band. Like I know that you've said that collaborating with the body kind of just opened up the doors for what you guys have essentially become to a certain degree. But is there like a particular artist or artist you're just like, man, I would really love to do something with them? Yeah, that's a funny question because we have a couple lined up that I have those feelings about. But I would really love to do something with like Sumac or Old Man Gloom, I think. Like it, just speaking in terms of peers. That's awesome. Um, I, I just love, love those guys. Um, we're kind of friends with all those guys and they're really funny. That's usually like a driving impetus for me when a collaboration comes up. More often than not, you know, aside from the Mersbau one, because we didn't know Masami beforehand, um, ever since then, it's just like, who are our people? Like, who do we love to be around? Let's make something with them. And I would definitely do that with either of those bands. I would love to do something with Godflesh, you know, purely on a musical level. Because I don't know, love that. I don't know Justin so well. He remixed a song for us and he's really sweet. But, uh, you know, I don't know him super well. It definitely makes the whole process a lot easier when you're already friends with the people, you know? some kind of social connection. Yeah, I don't know. I've always thought that doing something with the Melvins would be amazing. Kind of like similar to like Senile Animal and having like two drum sets or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're so Buzz is so grumpy though and he's so like kind of <laughs> like old man political, you know, he's just kind of I don't know. I don't think that's a situation where like, you know, it's a lesson I've learned over the years, but certainly I can peg Buzzo as a guy like big fan don't need to meet him. Definitely don't identify with him on a personal level at all. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like musically, I don't actually, you know what? I don't even think it would be good. 
Uh, no shade, because we're obviously big Melvins fans, but I don't know if it would be good. But I, I understand where your train of thought is. I think a Neurosis collab could be good. Hey, that'd be amazing. That. But I'm definitely looking forward to whatever you guys have got brewing. Let's step away from music here. What about video games? Donkey Kong, Metal Gear Solid, Zelda are some of my personal favorite video games. Yeah, man, me too. I know you've printed a Final Fantasy shirt, so I know that's a special game for you. What are yours? You know... Final Fantasy is definitely like really central to like the first games that like really rocked me to my core, like notably like seven through nine, just because of my age, you know, I played all the older ones and all the newer ones, uh, but seven through nine were the ones that like, you know, really got my goat because of when I grew up. Um, other than that, I'm actually like pleasantly surprised with some newer games. I just finished the last of us part two a few days ago and um, I'm playing new game plus right now. And I've honestly like, Seriously, I've never been so floored by like a, a game's narrative, Final Fantasy included. Like I've never had a video game experience akin to what I experienced with this game. I mean, it's like nothing else. And it kind of, you know, because sometimes I, uh, I have trouble figuring out what I want to play next, you know, because I have such a nostalgia for like Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross and Final Fantasy, all like that era of JRPGs specifically. But I've kind of grown out that I don't want to play like a new game in that format. And I don't really have interest in a lot of other genres of video games. But when I play something like The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2, like that's not in my normal wheelhouse. And that absolutely fucking floored me. And I had a similar experience with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like, I think those games are whack. I think like that stupid futuristic (laughs) bullshit they do. My wife thinks these games are pretty cool. I always thought they sucked. And I picked up Odyssey because it was cheap. And I, dude, I put in like 90 hours. And um, an all-time favorite, the last one I'll mention is Breath of the Wild. I think like, I think that might be one of the greatest achievements in video games like ever. And I, I really, I peer pressure people really fucking hard to play that game. I need to buy a Switch. I really want to. If I, only I'm a big for Zelda Breath of the fan. Wild. Dude, Breath of the Wild. <laughs> and you know, I'm a moderate Zelda fan. Like I played all the big hits, you know, and I, I really like them. Uh, I don't really like care too much. And I don't want to sound, you know, too disagreeable about it. I, I do like the games, but Breath of the Wild is just like, it's just another kind of game. I've never played an open world game as perfectly executed as that. I mean, you can climb like every cliff, every surface. There's so much true creativity in how you can approach that game. I don't know. It's it's very fucking special. And I like how big it, of a splash it made because I feel like I see devs making like Zelda ripoffs, you know, and I want people to steal the mechanics from that game Yeah. because that game elevates, you know, video games. People should watch that. You've got me hooked. You're almost like a Nintendo sales rep. Um, Actually, yeah, it's I funny really... you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> I can get you 8% off, but you have to spend like $350. Hey. That's like, I guess that's a Nintendo the, pitch. Maybe, <laughs> there you go. Maybe at the end of this interview, we'll, uh, you know, exchange some details here and there. Yeah. But um, I know that Sightless Pit, the name of a band that you have, you know, with Kristen and Lee. Two wonderful bands, you know, The Body and Lingua Ignata. And that came from a Skyrim game, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I'm not, I definitely really enjoy Elder Scrolls. Um, I don't think Skyrim is like the best game per se. Maybe it's just a title. I've played it so many fucking times though. And that pair of words, you know, words, I feel like, I feel like really strong drawn words. to certain phrasings. Yeah. And like that one was really strong for me and I had it copied down for years and I was like, this is going to be something. I know it. And then we couldn't really think of a name for our little project and that stuck. 
unfortunately, because I don't think, uh, I know Lee likes Elder Scrolls, but I'm sure Kristen isn't interested in talking about Elder Scrolls <laughs> specifically. I'm yeah, not I've sure never, what I've genre of games game. she likes. Oh, they're great. <laughs> I mean, they, they have their own feel, you know, they're not necessarily, it's not like The Witcher or something. Well, this is my last one here that I've made up. Uh, I read an interview that one of your fears is one day waking up and just wondering, you know, where the hell has time gone? And just kind of having your life pass by. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. The inevitable, you know, finite nature of time. Do you have any other fears? I mean, you actually, I think, mentioned it, you know, heights. But use like spiders or anything else. Um, or even you could talk about time. I mean, I love talking about time, time travel or whatever. Um, I don't know how I would define like, uh, like a fear that's I feel like is more kind of grounded, less existential than like time and death. But, you know, I'm certainly, I'm afraid of heights. Um, I've always kind of had a weird fear about deep waters as well. Maybe, I'm not really sure what that's about. But yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this recently and it, it's it's super cliche, but it's because it's probably a species-wide, you know, timeless fear. But I truly just fear death, you know, the nothingness beyond the veil or whatever. Like, you know, my time is uh is so precious to me and like coming to terms with the fact that like, I'm less than a speck, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I'm privileged to even have this quick flash. And I think sure. it haunts it haunts me to think that my death, you know, if there is truly nothing on the other side of this, my death is so unremarkable. You know what I mean? No, I think that's deep, a man. very... I think about it too. It's a common fear. I think that's like the driving impetus for all religion and like everything, a lot of our pursuits probably. And that's part of the reason why I, I have this uh, weird uh, fear of my time being kind of wasted away. You know, I like, I don't know. I would work any job if I needed to make a living, but I just like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what I would want to do. It'd be a difficult exchange for me. You know what I mean? And that's no, speaking from a place of pure privilege. You know what I mean? I'm so lucky to get to kind of just like, have my little print shop or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. I just can't take it for granted. I think I just take it to an extreme degree. Time is definitely complex, but that's all I've got for my questions. Time for questions that your fans have asked. Great. Lino Harbison out of Charlottesville, Virginia asks, what was your process in developing your screaming style? I would say pretty uneducated. I never watched like a how to scream thing like to this day. Like, I feel like uh, I'm a terrible person to ask for advice because I don't feel like I have any real way of articulating anything I've learned. I think a big breakthrough for me was learning to not scream as hard as I could. And I learned that in full of hell, like very early on. My gut instinct was always just to like push as hard as possible. And I, I think you can really hear it on the first full length we did. I don't like that vocal performance. I can't fucking listen to that record. And I think my bandmates did a really nice job otherwise. Um, but it's because I was screaming as hard as I fucking could in the studio, thinking like, that's how you scream. Obviously, it's called screaming. But um, I think um, revisiting a lot of black metal, I kind of learned how to have more of like a head voice, less volume, and um, gives you a lot more sustain. And it does a lot, of, a lot less damage on your vocal cords, you know, because when we recorded that record, I lost my voice after like five songs, like completely lost it. Nobody wants, wants that to happen. Or even going on like a tour and, you know, your first couple of dates or something. I'm not oh, sure dude. if that happened to you. Oh, but yeah, yeah, honestly, that's a thing I still, uh, I still slide into, unfortunately. Um, and that shows my inexpertise, I, I guess. The first couple of days, I'm always so excited and I'm talking to everybody and, you know, 
we go on tour to see our friends, you know, like we play places where we know we're going to get to hang out with people. And so I'm talking and talking and talking over bands and uh, it shoots my voice. It's not necessarily the screaming, but the talking over bands and then going right into a set, I can lose my voice like very, very quickly. So I think it's, it's definitely really important to warm up and um, it's definitely important to uh, avoid whispering if you've damaged your voice just as much as speaking loudly. Obviously, silence is the best. I'm glad you answered that because I was fascinated myself because I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a vocalist. I'm more of a hack, but my screams, I guess I learned from like listening to Blake from Jawbreaker, Kurt from Nirvana. So whenever I tried to get more experimental with yelling, it just doesn't work out. I end up sounding like a cartoon or a drunk gargoyle ogre guy or something. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) just even hearing like the vocals that you do, I'm just like, whoa, like how does somebody train themselves to do it? You know? Honestly, man, I, I look at folk singers and I wish I could do that as well. You know? And emulation is the only way you figure it out. Like, I never knew how to explain it. It's just like, it's, it, I don't even, I, obviously it's some kind of a skill that's like been developed over time, but I hesitate to even call it that because, you know, I was just like emulating the noises that I heard until I could do them, you know? And uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of techniques I can't do, but you know, you learn every day. Definitely. And on the same topic of, you know, be, uh, music related, Mike C. Fuentes out of El Paso, Texas asks, on average, how many dudes ask to take a picture of your pedal board? I don't even know. I mean, it happens for sure. I, I, I think I don't really think about it because I don't really care. I just kind of just give my hand up or whatever and let them take a picture of it. Uh, you know, we don't, I try to keep my stuff as simple as possible anyways. So it's not like some kind of secret I'm trying to keep from the world. So because you got trobotronic devices, not, not every day, you know, but certainly people want to, any band that uses a lot of pedals that happens. I think people should be open about it. Nothing is unique and nothing hasn't been done. Good to know. This fan did not want to disclose their identity as they thought the question (laughs) was a bit cheesy, but is the glass half full of hell or is the glass half empty of hell? Uh, it depends who you ask, honestly. Um, I would say half full, uh, other members might say half empty. We're pretty, we're a pretty even split down the (laughs) middle, to be honest. So I think that's what keeps us grounded. You know, some of us want to celebrate and some of us want to wallow and move on and do other things. And it's a good thing. We're balanced. Balance is a good thing. Renee from Texas asks, what was the collaboration process like when doing your albums with the body and Merzbaugh? Did you guys just send tracks back and forth and piece it together? Or how exactly did it all come together? With Merzbau, um, you know, we were not in the same room. He was in Japan. We were in, in the States. And he sent us like a bulk of material and just let us kind of have free reign. And we basically formed what we felt were like two cohesive albums. One where Masami's in like a... Love them. Uh, thanks. Kind of a mixed reception on them. One's like a... One was meant to have kind of Masami in a supporting role and the other, you know, was in reverse. Um, that was our first stab at it. It was it was really difficult and uh, it was a fun experience, but it was very um, different from the experience we had with The well, Body unique. where we were, we were in the same room together and we'd spent weeks on tour together and they were quickly becoming like some of our best friends, you know, through music. And I don't know, the body process was really interesting because we had nothing written and we just went in and built it from the drums up. Everybody had free reign to just kind of throw ideas out there, and thankfully, I did you feel guys like have like we studio all... time, like for yeah, a yeah, week or two weeks, or how did, so how did that work out? We probably recorded that in like four days. The first one, okay. maybe like the same with the second one, probably four or five days. And what we did was we booked the first time we booked like a really long tour together, 
And uh, Lee was like, why don't we record a record together at the end of the tour? You know, that wasn't a thing that came from our side. So we were like super flattered because I was just such a huge fan. And uh, they booked time at Machines with Magnets for the end of the tour. So um, both U.S. In tours Providence, that we've done right? with them. Rhode Island? Yeah. Yep. Both tours that we've done with them in the U.S., we've specifically ended the tours in Providence to record. So it's nice. You end a really long tour and you get to stay at the studio and it's cushy and you get to order food together, go to Applebee's and Olive Garden, and <laughs> Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, you know, get real Western with it. I love that. And Valentine from the desert, you know, again, another anonymous person, asks, <laughs> Full of Hell's music can be considered heavy and intense. What kind of non-intensive music do you personally listen to? I actually listen to way more non-intense music than uh, intense. This year, I've really been into uh, King Cruel, actually. I, I never checked him out before, you know? I kind of stray away from that, like, college scene. Not that he's necessarily a part of whatever it is I just tried to define, but his music's just, like, there's. it's really complex. I feel like there's a lot going on. So I've had all that stuff on repeat. I always listen to tons of stuff like Aphex Twin. That's been, like, you know, I, I've always just, like, really obnoxious beats and ambient music. Um and, I, you know, I really love stuff like Joanna Newsom. I've always been, like, a huge, huge fan of hers. And she's actually been very influential on me as, like, you know, a lyricist um, in general. And, you know, I like a lot of hip-hop, like Griselda Records and all that kind of stuff. Kind of all over the place. And everybody in the band's like that, you know. Uh, Sam is, like, a huge deadhead. Uh, Spencer is, like, so into noise rock and just, like, harsh noise. And, you know, nobody really is just like listening to death metal and grindcore. You know what I mean? That's not really... No, I love that. Uh, our central yeah, interest. actually... <laughs> yeah, because I saw, um, I forgot what the segment was called on, on YouTube. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is it like Deep Digs? Or what was it? The one where you kind of show was your records a, that you love. That, that Thrill Jockey yeah, one, I believe. Oh, uh, Thrill Jockey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you, you brought out some records like the Matmos album, the Plastic Oh, yeah, they're great. I was like, I was yeah. Like, I was like, hell yeah, this, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that band's, fan I mean, that band's fantastic. They're so inspiring. They sample everything. It's so cool. They're just a really creative band. I, you know, we like anything um, that kind of does its own thing and, and maybe sources sound from unique places. And it's a big world. There's a lot of music. I, can't, I can't, truly can't imagine listening to like just heavy music. Uh, no, I'm the same way. Interesting. I gravitate definitely to punk and hardcore and heavier stuff. But I mean, it's across the board. And I love it all. I like that you mentioned like King Cruel because I wasn't even familiar with his music or like his band i actually just got like free tickets um oh, from man. a record store and i was just like hey like i i forgot how exactly i got them but they're like hey we got your tickets and i was like okay i'm gonna go out and i was actually kind of blown away i did not anticipate it like he has some like heavier stuff i'm like whoa he's a genius i mean he's so clearly influenced by hip-hop and soul and you know like all kinds of crazy guitar stuff he's just it's on another level for sure. And from the live videos that I've seen, it looks like his songs, uh, he manipulates them live. You know, they're, they're very jammed out. Um, I'm sure it was awesome. That rules. No, I loved it. Thanks so much for answering these random ones. No problem.
now to get into some more of Full of Hell. Your band is named after an Entombed song. Were there any other potential band names you guys had uh, when you were first starting off, or was that the one and only one you guys stuck with? Oh, I don't even know, man. I, I actually wasn't oh, in the band when it started. That's that's exactly <laughs> what I was saying. After uh, did Spencer, did Spencer have one? Was that Sp- Spencer named it? You know, I'm I'm sure he had a couple options in mind. Um, you know, it's it's really weird because I don't really think about the name anymore. And that doesn't really work in my favor in social situations. You know, when I meet new people and they want to know, like, <laughs> how the hell do you spend your time? And I'm like, oh, I'm in a band. And they're like, what's the band called? And I'm like, full of hell. And then I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, I'm not like, you know, into like uh, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a fuck about that stuff. You don't understand. There's context. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we draw a lot of religious imagery. But in truth, it had nothing to do with the band's name choice. It was just kind of always what I'd been into. You're just there. Um yeah and the death metal influence has always been in there in one way or another it's never going to leave but it just goes to show you how things can change over time and you know just kind of manipulate itself into something new you've said trumpeting ecstasy was more of a riffier straightforward album to kind of like switch it up from the noisier albums you had done previously before that point and weeping choir is kind of a record that pulls from all of your influences, all of the previous records you've done, and I would just say like overall, you know, hardcore punk noise influences. But I see you're in the studio right now. I actually saw a video last night. If you're able to talk about it, what can the fans be expecting to hear next? Um, I would say everything's getting more extreme. Um, I think having, maybe it had something to do with like the, all the feedback we got during the robbery or whatever, you know, seeing actually, you know, right in your face how much people like demand that you keep going and like, you know, show you how much they care. It's kind of like extremely humbling and just, it just kind of puts you on your ass. And um, I think maybe some of that encouragement has just kind of pushed us to feel 110% comfortable. Um, I really feel like the new stuff we're doing uh, is going to be a lot more challenging to maybe like the average listener that might only like trumpeting ecstasy. You know what I mean? But, you know, we're just doing our own thing. So I, I think all the electronic influences and noise noise influence is going to play a more central role. We're definitely not interested in just like playing fast all the time. I mean, I, I don't definitely. think we ever have been. We like playing fast. We're always going to. Uh, I think it's always going to be like a core of the band, but we're into so many things. Um, I, I'm sure whatever we do, uh, I feel confident that like people that have stuck with us all this time will understand and be into it. You know, because we always try to just keep it honest to ourselves. So, you know, if the albums change over time, it's just like how we're growing as, you know, amongst, uh, amongst ourselves as a group. Yeah, you know, and, and we try to do it in, in a natural way. And if it, if it feels unnatural, um, we can't really do anything about that because we're just doing our thing. That's kind of like my guiding principle for now, I ju- how I judge bands now. You know, I try not to judge bands as long as they're doing what they want and being true to like their vision or whatever. That's all that matters. Like, if I don't like it, it's my problem. I love hearing that, and I cannot wait for whatever comes out next. <laughs> You're one of the only artists that I know that uses WT Nelson's Trogotronic devices, WT, being in bands such as Man is the Bastard, Geronimo, and more. I'm sure he's had a great influence. What got you into thinking about using them in a live setting, you know, as far as when full of hell, when you're doing your thing, you know, was that something where it's like, man, I definitely want to just be able to create noise and create these like textural landscapes of, you know, harshness and destruction and have it kind of line up with the band's music, you know, the instrumentation. Was that something that you always had in mind? 
You know, Spencer and I have always been into really extreme art, and uh, we've always liked noise. Um, he was the mastermind behind this whole band, and I think his dream before I was even in the band was to have you know a fast extreme band that was like really noisy and kind of didn't really have uh, the barriers of like a classic rock band setup. And he was kind of outnumbered when he first formed it with his friends down in Maryland. But uh, you know, as soon as I joined the band, we kind of the dynamic shifted, you know, Spencer suddenly had someone in the band that was kind of in support of everything he was doing. I'd never met anybody that was into grindcore and noise. And you know what I mean? Those people were so few and far in between in my life. And he was so driven. So uh, it was definitely something Spencer had in mind really early on. He was the one that was like, you should be doing noise live. And I know he's an extremely huge man as the bastard fan, as am I, and extremely huge fans of like the endless blockade who are a younger band but were, you know, hugely influential on us. And they both were doing things live. For me, it was like the end point of all extreme music, you know, and it really kind of, like I said, it took the barriers off. You know, we can make sound with whatever the fuck we want, and it's just going to sound fucking crazy. And I like the freedom of that, you know. Uh, I love electronic music in general, so I've always been open to, like, any kind of, like, outside experimentation like that. But, yeah, it was definitely, like, an idea early on. Man is the Bastard was like just a huge deal to us. So we got the tip from those bands. So I guess it's a generational thing in a way. I'm sure there's like some younger folks out there maybe that like don't know about Man is the Bastard, but they do know about the Endless Blockade and some that maybe only know about Full of Hell. And that's just how those things go. And I I think that's a really special kind of evolution. I love it. And I mean, even again, your bandmate Spencer, he makes his own noisemakers with a variety of nuts, bolts and metal and casings so whoever's out there and loves making noise check out industrial hazard yeah he's having a lot of fun um, with that yeah i want to pick one up one day i I feel like whenever i look they're sold out so they're hot they're in demand but i'd love to pick one up uh one of these days you are also in a band called sightless pit which includes Kristen of lingua nada and lee from the body and all i gotta say is wow you know you put out that album (laughs) grave of a dog back in february and it sounds so good so obviously it combines all three of your styles but there's also like i'm gonna probably sound like an idiot and someone's gonna want to like punch me in the face through their (laughs) earbuds but it kind of sounds like man like some of the beats the electro beats kind of remind me like tom york tortoise like brainiac i don't know this electro beat instrumentation vibe you know obviously with the more extreme styles that you guys carry but was there a particular vibe you guys are going for i know that you had stated there was no specific intention with the way that the songs were meant to sound but was there something in particular maybe talking with lee like hey i want to have these like you know beats on there or like how did it all come about i mean we all, all three of us love techno and edm and house music and i always wanted to be in a band that maybe wasn't like dancey per se but you know was a like maybe like a really undanceable dancey kind of band and Lee's thing is like making beats. Like that's what he likes doing. That's what he's good at. That's what his role was when we started this band. So, uh, you know, I don't know what influences he was pulling from, but I think there was just no way it wasn't going to sound like that. You know, he's the percussion guy and there's a mutual love for that kind of music. So it was always going to kind of be, be where we landed. And I think that's like the voices and sounds that you hear on the record are just like the things that we feel comfortable doing and the things that we feel that we excel at. Those are what we included on the record. Kristen is a wonderful piano player. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I can't really listen to records that I've done. It just feels like 
you just can't enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like who the fuck listens to themselves, but the sightless pit record, I feel like my role is so withdrawn at times. I actually, I appreciate that record so much. Like there's songs that are just Kristen and Lee. I love those songs. Um, like and Ocean it's of Mercy, weird. I believe is one, I guess what I'm saying is I'm able to have a more neutral perspective on it because my role was less upfront. You know what I mean? I appreciate that project myself. And I think whatever we do next will be probably more leaning into the house house genre, you know, again, you know, obviously with a lot of noise and, and experimentation and whatever. But uh, I, I don't know. I have a, a hole in my heart for that kind of stuff. And I like making it. I love it. Keep it going. I cannot wait for the next one. I mean, tracks like Ocean of Mercy are just like beautiful. I just feel like walking into the desert and, you know, just... I, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm not going to walk into it. I know where you're going. Hard, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's deep. You know, like I, I feel these deep feelings listening to these tracks and they're amazing. I, I, I love it. You're also in a band called, and I apologize in advance. I don't know how to pronounce this. Ramu, is that correct? Um, You know, it, it's the Final Fantasy name. Um, And I always called it Rama growing up, but I was playing okay. uh, like one of the later Final Fantasies and they have voice acting. And they kept calling it Ramu, but I, I call it, I just call it Rama. But yeah, that's, um, okay. it's me and my friend Balaj Pandi and, and Mo from, uh, from Maruda. Yeah. And Balaj plays with Masami a lot. And, um, Mo wrote these riffs with Balaj, like at this point, like seven or eight years ago. And, uh, they just didn't end up locking down a vocalist and I'm, I'm really good friends with Balaj and I'm friends with Mo. And, uh, eventually they were just like, all right, fine. Like Dylan, do you want to sing on this? And I was like, fuck yeah. And we did it immediately. And we just kind of sat on it for years to be honest i don't know if that band's gonna do anything ever again just because Belage is over in hungary and mo is down in miami and we talk about it sometimes but um it's just one of those long distance things you know sightless pit is very much in a similar boat everybody lives so far away and and some of them don't fly it's just uh um but sorry go on and ask the question about the band before i ran no i was rambling you know <laughs> no I, you actually answered i was gonna say like are there any future releases in the works because i know that that's a particular band where it's difficult because everybody lives so far away and obviously with the world that we're living in doesn't make things easier but uh yeah that was my question because i really enjoyed the tracks that you did with that band so i was just wondering if that's something that I don't know, in the future. I didn't want to just... We've talked about it. We've definitely talked about doing an LP. I think it comes up like once or twice a year. I'm really open to it. I know those guys are too. I just know that they're very busy. And and obviously right now, the the future is very uncertain. And that's not something we can do without each other in the room, at least with guitar and drums. Uh, Time will tell. Uh, We're open to it though. Never know, right? Yeah, door's not closed. So, Full of Hell was featured briefly in the movie The Art of Self-Defense, which features Jesse Eisenberg. It's a great film. I loved it. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but have you seen it uh, yet? Yeah. Oh, a bunch of times. I, I loved it. It, it I, was a, a great movie, of, man. How'd... Well, I'm a big fan of Riley Stearns, the director. Um, it's funny. He emailed me. He emailed us. <laughs> and uh, That's hilarious because I, I was going to ask, well, how did you all get that opportunity? Well, we're huge fans of Faults and Cub. Um, well, my okay, so I got to backpedal a little bit. Um, my best friend that lives around here, he's really into film. He watches a lot of stuff. And uh, he showed me Faults a long time ago, which is Riley's first film, as far as I know. And then he also did a short called Cub. And uh, my friend Ian and I were big fans of Riley's. And I got an email from Riley Stearns. And I was sitting with my friend at the time. 
And I was just like, holy shit, I think this is the director, Riley Stearns, writing <laughs> Full of Hell. And he was like, what? Really? And it turns out Riley's like a huge fan of this kind of music. And, you know, he was like, this is the script. I want you to be a part of it. What do you think? And I was just like, a fucking course. Like, why would we ever say no to something like that? Also, it was amazing, I really, man. yeah, like, I really like your work. You know, it was a coincidence. No, I'm glad you guys were placed in, into it because it fits so perfectly. When it came across and I heard the snippet, I was like, oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Like, okay. Are there any plans of being in any other movies? Maybe some blockbusters, a Marvel movie? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't call them plans, just like unrealistic hopes. <laughs> All bands want their music to be in movies. You know, The Body has a song in one of the Purge movies. I don't really I like no those idea. movies. I haven't actually seen the Purge movie that they're in, but it's from their collab with The Hacks and Cloak. And, you know, that stuff's, those are really special opportunities. Um, I'm really stoked anytime a friend gets a spot like that. And we got lucky, you know, Riley has like obviously impeccable taste. And over the years, we've become like really good friends with him. And uh, it's just kind of like Riley's like part of our circle, you know, he's like really good friends with some of the thou guys and like in the body. And he's just a good dude. And I don't know, I'm really happy for him. He deserves like, you know, to have his work recognized like that. And I'm really grateful that he like gave us the opportunity it was in the trailer even uh, we didn't expect that we were pretty we were pretty psyched we got on the airplane one time and like it was playing on the airplane <laughs> that's awesome you know i love yeah that. it was pretty cool and even you know sightless pit some of the tracks you know i listen i'm like man they have a super like cinematic like vibe and feel to them like i, oh, I can imagine them being like in a film like which film i don't know i can't think of like a particular scene but when i was listening to him i was like wow I would love to see this in a movie or, you know, yeah, much more so than much more so than full of hell. I think full of hell is particularly difficult to score. If they use more like atmospheric passage, I think I would like believe it a little more, you know, in its usage, it works in context for that film, but I, I can't see it being used um, particularly often just because it's so vocal heavy. And so, uh, I don't know, I guess attention grabby, the sightless pit stuff's definitely more atmospheric. I could see that happening a little bit easier. Well, I hopefully one day we'll see it come across the screen. Like when I was watching, um, again, this movie art of self-defense, I was like, Oh hell, hell yeah. So hope, <laughs> yeah, let's hope that that happens. But, um, yeah, I know that you and the full of hell guys always have something up your sleeves, whether it's exciting new releases or rad new merch, kind of like that tape set you guys put out. But, you know, before we wrap all this up, all yours are on you. What is in the potential works that you can clue your fans into? Um, well, we finished writing a new album, like a standalone Full of Hell LP. We'll definitely record that at some point. We actually haven't started recording that yet. Um, the stuff we've been in the studio for is like all kinds of other projects. We kind of just uh, decided to just do absolutely whatever the fuck we want at this point. Um, so, you know, there's like a lot of little projects going, a couple different collaborations. Um I don't know. Uh, we definitely want to keep self-releasing stuff too. You know, uh, definitely having the next LP is coming out with relapse, of course, but it means a lot to get to do the mail order and like control all the little details with like the reissues that we've been doing. So I think that's going to be like something that we always do. But other than that, I mean, very typical ass band shit, you know, records coming and inevitably shows. It, we just don't know when. <laughs> well, so I don't know. I love it. I love it all. I can't wait for whatever's coming out, like you had mentioned. But Dylan, that's all I got. But I want to say thanks so much for being on the show. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Take care. Well, there's my interview with Dylan. I sure did learn quite a bit about him. From listening to the Grateful Dead and Bad Brains with his parents, opening up for Mr. Bungle, his influences as a vocalist, to deep talks about the finite nature of time and overcoming tour nightmares, to his love for the video game Final Fantasy, to getting to know more about his pet corgis. We covered so much ground, and I hope you got to know Dylan a little more. I mean, when we were talking, like I previously mentioned, I thought it was almost as if I already knew him. Great musician, and just such a great guy. One thing I want to mention before signing off here is being from Texas and being a fan of hardcore and metal, there's two particularly legendary bands that have left an impact on me and honestly has done so for so many fans and people out there. These two bands are Power Trip and Iron Age. I just want to say rest in peace Riley Gale and Wade Allison. Great musicians, but most importantly great people. Keep your friends and family close and stay safe out there everybody. As always, thanks for tuning in. You can go to interviewswithchris.com for any previous material or go on any major platform where you can hear a podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then press subscribe and give some positive feedback. Thanks again, everybody, and I'll see you next time.